0: So, brothers and sisters, what's God's plan for church growth? We talk about wanting our church to grow, and we want our church to grow. We do. Uh, We want more people to come to know the saving grace of Jesus. We want those same people to mature in the grace of Jesus. We want to see Christ's church expand here in New England. So, like we... We want all of that, right? We want salvation of sinners. We want sanctification of those sinners who've become saints. We want the expansion of his church. We, we want it all. We want to have our cake and eat it too. But how do we do this? How do we go about accomplishing this? What's the plan? And who's involved? Is this something that's just for pastors, missionaries, and leaders? Is this a word that I should be speaking only to those who are in the ministry, quote-unquote? Or are you involved? Every one of you. And if so, what does that look like? What's your responsibility? What does God have to say about this? Well, He has much to say. And He says much. Much. In our text this morning, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7. As you turn there, I just want to bring out for you what I'm going to be arguing for and what I hope to convince you of through this text. It's a, it's a sermon theme. You could find it right there on the top of your bulletin. Here's what I'm arguing for this morning. Brothers and sisters, God's plan for church growth is for His people to grow in maturity, stability, and Christ-likeness. And He's given us all that we need for that through gifted leaders who equip the saints, the church, for the work of ministry. Now let me just give you some context before we jump in. So, in the previous verses, Paul talked about our unity as a church, that unity is based on our one salvation, our one God, Our unity is theologically grounded. And now what Paul does is he shifts. He's still talking about unity, but he's talking about unity in terms of growth in Christ's likeness. In other words, we're going to maintain our unity. We're going to grow in our unity as we grow in conformity to Christ. Which then begs the question, well, how do we grow in conformity to Christ? Well, it's through the gifts that he's given to his church, to all members and to the leaders who equip them. So take a look at verses 7 through 10. Take a look at verses 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one also who ascended far above all heavens, they might fill all things. Now this may seem a little bit confusing to you, there's some, there's some words and some concepts there that I'll hope to clarify for you, but at bottom, at root, there's just two simple truths here. The first one is that Christ gifts every believer for service. We see this right off the bat in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That grace there isn't saving grace. It's, It's grace for ministry. Maybe we should just call it serving grace. So this isn't about the grace of God that brings us into the body of Christ. This is about the grace of God that empowers us to serve the body of Christ. And we see that this is the way Paul's used this term Uh, in chapter 3, verse 7. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. So he's not talking about saving grace there. He's talking about his call to minister. He's he's referring to that as a gift of God's grace. And so Paul's saying here that, that Christ has given gifts to each one, to every believer for spiritual service. Now he doesn't list them here So the focus of this text isn't to walk through All of the various gifts If you want to check some of those out You could look at 1 Corinthians 12 Sam read that really wonderfully this morning You could look at Romans chapter 12 And if you wanted to think more about spiritual gifts I'd encourage you to refresh yourself On the spiritual gifts conference with Tom Schreiner That's just right there on our website All the content, all the notes, right there But the point is We are gifted for service in Christ's church. That's the first point in those couple of verses. The second is the point that these gifts actually come from the risen and reigning Jesus. There is an emphasis here on Jesus as the victorious king who gives gifts of the spoils of his victory. To his people. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Paul's quoting Psalm 68. It envisions a victorious king who's conquered his enemies. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that it points us to who? Jesus Christ. And Paul is quoting this in reference to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And essentially, we're to think about this His resurrection and His ascension shout from the rooftops Jesus is the ultimate victorious king. Okay? Now, think about this. In ancient days, in Roman days, when a victorious king came back from war, what would you see? You'd see two things. Number one, you'd see a host of captives. You'd see the enemies he'd conquered. They'd be following him in his train as he's marching homeward. And then two, you'd see that he'd share the spoils of victory with those who belong to him, right? Well, if that's the case, then how does this apply to Jesus? Well, the host of captives are the enemies of God that he conquered through the cross, Colossians 2.15 says Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. So the captives here are the enemies of God. Satan and his minions. Those are the captives. Jesus has triumphed over them definitively in the gospel. Those are the captives that follow him in his train as he's victoriously ascending. And the spoils that he shares with us... In context, are these gifts. He gave gifts to men. Spiritual gifts. Giftings of the Holy Spirit to His church. But what I want you to notice is that this is talking about the gifts... In terms of them coming from the risen and reigning king. The emphasis here in this text is on Jesus as the risen and reigning king. That's why you got this aside in verses 9 and 10. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions? The earth. So Jesus descended. He descended from heaven to earth in his incarnation. He descended from earth to the grave in His death. Jesus really descended. But having gone to the lowest of the low, He has now been exalted to the highest of high. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens. So this is a picture of the cosmic supremacy of Jesus Christ. He ascended... Far above all the heavens Ephesians 121 says far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come brothers sisters that is cosmic supremacy right there amen who is the king of kings in charge of all things it's Jesus and he's not done He has risen, the text says, that he might fill all things. King Jesus is on the way of assuring that his kingdom stretches from shore to shore. That the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. All of this is coming. And here's where it hits home as it relates to us. In this age, it is through the church that the Lord Jesus declares his kingship. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 3.10 Through the church The manifold wisdom of God Is made known to the rulers and authorities In the heavenly places Do you see how huge this is? We, the church, are Jesus' appointed means of declaring, and not only declaring, expanding the reign of King Jesus. We are actually, as we live underneath His Lordship, as we grow in conformity to Him, as we maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, we are part of the process of Him filling all things with His glory as His church advances. So how do we do that? Well, by following God's plan for church growth, which he really begins to open up for us in this next section. Okay, Read 11 through 16 with me. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So that it builds itself up in love. Now there's a shift here, okay? There's a shift away from gifts given to each believer by the risen Christ. And a shift to gifted leaders given by Christ to his church. So there's a shift away from gifts given to every believer and a shift to gifted leaders as gifts of Christ to his church. And he identifies multiple leaders. So apostles. Apostles could be used generically in the Bible or specifically in the Bible. Generically, it could refer to all Christians. Apostle means sent one. So in a very real sense, every Christian is a sent one. We are commissioned by Jesus to be his ambassadors and his witnesses. But I would argue this isn't a generic use here. This is a specific use. Apostles were personally chosen and authorized by Jesus. Apostles were witnesses of Jesus' ministry. Apostles saw Jesus risen from the grave. There are no apostles today. This is a foundational gift to the church. In fact, remember what God said in chapter 2. Gentiles are no longer alienated, but members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the... Do you remember? Apostles and prophets. The apostles were authoritative ambassadors of Jesus at the beginning of the New Testament church. Paul also mentions the prophets. He gave the apostles, he gave the prophets. So these would be New Testament prophets who along with the apostles declared the mystery of the gospel in the early days of the church. We already mentioned them a second ago. Paul mentions them in chapter 3 of Ephesians as well. Chapter 3, 4, Paul says this. When you read this, so the letter to the Ephesians, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, like the apostles, there are no more prophets today. Uh, Some say there are. I don't think that's right. I think what's clear, even from Ephesians, is that the apostles and prophets were foundational to the church. They received direct and fresh revelation from God. That revelation has now been recorded for us. The foundation's been laid, and they have since passed off the scene. So Paul also mentions evangelists. Now, when you think of an evangelist, who do you think of? Probably... For most of you in this room, you think of Billy Graham. That's not a bad thought. You should also think of Timothy, Paul's pastoral protege. Amongst Paul's charges to him, like, which I know you're familiar with, preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Amidst exhortations like those is also this one. Paul says, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So according to the Bible, evangelists aren't just guys like Billy Graham on TV. They're guys like Timothy in local churches, sharing the gospel and equipping others to understand and share the gospel themselves. And then Paul says there are shepherds and teachers. Now, I actually think a better translation of this is shepherd teachers. In fact, if you're in the ESV, you can just look at the bottom and you can see that that's an alternate translation. This is pastors. So pastors are shepherds. Pastors lead, they guard, they protect. And how do they do it primarily? By teaching. By pouring out the word of God upon the people of God for their good. Now I just want you to zoom out for a second. I want you to ask this question. What is it that all of these have in common? What's the common thread or, or color or melodic note amongst all of these gifted teachers that Christ's, or these gifted leaders, excuse me, that Christ's given to His church. What, what, what's, what's, in, what's in common to all of them? It's a focus on the Word. Do you see, brothers and sisters, how every one of them is focused on the ministry of the Word? God revealed His Word to the Apostles and the Prophets and what'd they do? They poured it out. Everywhere they went, they were like cups with holes in them, just pouring out the Word of God. What did the evangelists do? They poured out the Word of God. They reasoned with people about the Gospel, and they equipped people to share the Gospel. And of course, that's exactly what pastors do in churches today. They give themselves to the Word of God. Which, doesn't that make total sense? What did Jesus pray for His church in John 17? sanctify them by your truth your word is truth what does Paul say in Romans don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by what? by the renewing of your mind brothers and sisters if the church if redeeming grace is going to grow she needs a robust diet of the word of God here's what you see I think you know this, but brothers and sisters, where you see the church flourishing over the long haul, if you look at a church and you see it flourishing over the long haul, that church is blessed with a robust diet of the Word of God. Of course Jesus would gift His church with leaders whose main business is to pour out the Word of God. Because it's through the Word of God that the people of God grow. And that's why we're happy to support the work of Harshit Singh in India. That's why we're happy to support the work of SRL in Colombia. Because they're focused on raising up pastor teachers who will what? Feed the flock of God the Word of God. Now notice something else. If the church is to grow, she needs a robust diet of the Word of God. But there's something else she needs. Every member needs to minister. Look at verse 12. Why did Jesus give gifted leaders to his church? Why did he do that? So that they could do all the ministry? No. So that they could equip the saints for the work of ministry. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is huge. This is huge, this is fantastic, this is ginormous, this is vital to growth. Brothers and sisters, who does ministry in the local church? Who is responsible for ministry in the local church? Answer! We all are. My main responsibility is to teach and preach the Word of God. Because it's through the word of God that you will be equipped to minister in Christ's behalf in ways he's gifted you to serve. So mark this, wherever you see a church thriving over the long haul, not only do you see that church is blessed with a robust diet of the word of God, you also see a church filled with members who aren't just sitting and soaking. They are sitting and soaking so that they can get up and serve. They're not just here passively receiving. They're here actively serving. They know it's not just the pastor and elders who minister. It's all of us who minister. And when this happens, it is beautiful. You know what begins to happen when this happens? The body begins to build itself up. And that's the next phrase. For the building up of the body of Christ. When you got this awesome thing going on where the word of God is being poured out, poured out, and poured out. And the church is saying, Give it to me. I want it. I want to be mature. I want to minister. I want the word of God poured into me. And I want to pour the word of God into my brothers and sisters. Friends, that is the secret sauce right there. I'm serious. That's the secret sauce. When you got this, you got fire. Pow! I think we see some of it here. And I want us to see more of it. Amen? And then look at what this vision for growth actually looks like. So here's the real goal. Here is the real goal. Hmm. Just making sure you're awake. Here's the real goal of growth. Interesting that it's not primarily numeric growth, it's three big ideas. Overlapping ideas Maturity, stability, and Christlikeness Maturity, stability, and Christlikeness God's vision for growth For His church Is for His people to grow in maturity Verse 13 Until we attain to the unity of the faith And of the knowledge of the Son of God To mature manhood To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Paul's already talked about unity he has. We, we know that we don't create our unity. Our unity is given to us by the Spirit. We share in a common salvation, in a common Savior, in a common faith, in a common Spirit from a common Father. So we don't create unity. We maintain unity. That's 4, 1 through 6. But notice we also attain unity until we all attain to the unity of faith. Now, this isn't talking about perfection. It's not talking about the eternal state. It's talking about increasingly attaining unity. It's talking about increasingly growing in unity. So we have unity. We're to maintain that unity. And we're to grow in that unity. And notice how that's connected to knowledge. Theology. In other words, as we grow in our knowledge of Christ, we should also expect to grow in our unity in Christ. Sidebar. Theology is not a threat to unity. Theology is key to unity. Sometimes in the name of unity church growth gurus will say, "Hey, lay off the theology, man. Keep it light, right? We we keep it light for the sake of unity." But that is whack, brothers and sisters. As we grow in our theology, we grow in our ability to think rightly and relate to one another rightly, which does what? Aid our unity. Theology is key to unity. And all of this is connected to maturity, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Oh my goodness, our Savior does not want His sheep to be immature. Have you ever been around a young person? Let's say they're about 25. But in terms of maturity, they're more like a 15-year-old. Have you ever been around someone like that? Brothers and sisters, God does not want that for us spiritually. The writer of Hebrews laments immaturity in the lives of believers. By this time you ought to be teachers, he says. By the way, he's not speaking to pastors, he's speaking to normal Christians. By this time you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. God wants us to be mature, brothers and sisters. And so he places us into his church. Where Lord willing, the word is being served up in its fullness. And Lord willing, brothers and sisters are coming around us. And what are they doing? Discipling us. Since the body is being equipped by the Word of God, the body is ministering the Word of God, building each other up, holding one another up, when uh, when we're about to give way under life's burdens, calling each other towards greater faithfulness to Christ, calling each other towards greater zeal in the heavenly race. What's the picture? Growth and maturity, which leads to stability. 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So here's just the truth. Here's an axiom, write it down. In every age, the church is going to be confronted with ideas that are not in keeping with the Word of God. In every age, friends, the church is going to be confronted with with ideas that are not in keeping with the Word of God. And if we aren't rooted and growing in the Word of God, then we are not going to be stable. You want to know what it looks like to be stable? Let me just give you a good rule of thumb. Here you go. Here's the wind test. Okay. Stability looks like, am I okay being on the wrong side of history? Am I okay being on the wrong side of history? I know you've heard that phrase. It's a powerful phrase, right? Makes you think, man, I don't, I don't. Woo, huh, that sounds bad. I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. But as Christians, we just need to totally lay that aside and say, I just want to hold tight to the Word of God. Whatever the Word of God says, no matter how out of step it is with the cultural moment I'm in, I'm okay with that. Because I know that God's ways are the best. I'm okay being on the wrong side of, of history. So God wants His people to mature, God wants His people to be stable. And God wants His people to be increasingly Christ-like. Look at verses 15 and 16. Rather, in other words, rather than being immature, rather than being tossed about, by speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What's this a picture of? Growth in Christ likeness. Did you notice that phrase? We are to grow up, so significant. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. We are to grow up in how many ways? (laughs) In some ways, in a few ways, in the ways that you find it easy. In the ways that are obvious. No, no, no. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. This is full orbed conformity to Jesus Christ. Conformity to Christ in our thoughts. Conformity to Christ in our actions. Conformity to Christ in our feelings. Conformity to Christ in our words. Conformity to Christ. Growth in Christ is really growth in Christ. Looking like Him. Dwelling with Him. Maturing in Him. Being transformed by Him. And this happens in local churches. As we speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, the text says, we are to grow up. So this growth in Christ likeness, again, is something which we all play a part in, not just pastors. It's all of us. We're all charged to, to speak the truth in love. Now, what exactly does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, it, it actually is, is, is interesting here. The, the verb doesn't even say speaking. It just says most literally truthing in love, which is really weird. Like, what the heck does that mean? Here's what it means. It it doesn't mean you don't speak the truth in love. It's just more full than that. It means that you proclaim the truth with both your lips and your lives. Think about what Paul told Timothy. He said, watch your life and your doctrine. For in so doing, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Don't you think that's a similar word that he would speak to us? We need to watch our lives and watch our doctrine. We need to speak the truth in love with our lives and with our lips. And when we do, that helps others in the body of Christ grow. And don't miss, we are to speak the truth in what way? In love. Paul told us in Ephesians 4, 1-6, through 6, we were to forbear in what way? In love. So too we are to speak the truth, to declare the truth of God's Word. In love. All things, brothers and sisters, in the church of Jesus Christ are to be done in a spirit of love. And when it is, Growth happens. When every part of the body, as this text says, every part of the body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, when we're all Loving the Lord Jesus, loving one another, being transformed by His Word, and seeking to see each other transformed by His Word. The body grows so that it builds itself up in love. So that's God's plan for church growth. And I hope you noticed a couple of things. Number one, growth is not about, I'm sorry, number one, growth is about conformity to Christ. So growth is not just about conversions. Although we love conversions, and we should expect conversions because we have the best news in the world, the gospel that says that Jesus Christ lived the life we should have lived, died the death we deserve to die, and rose again, and if we trust ourselves to Him, Turn from our sin. Trust in Him. We can be forgiven. That is incredible news that we should proclaim and expect conversions. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you want to know more about that, please come and talk to me or talk to any brother or sister beside you and they'll be happy to minister that same gospel to you and help you understand what it looks like to believe that gospel and to trust Him for life. So we want to see conversions. Growth is certainly about conversions. But Paul's plan for church growth isn't simply about conversions. It's about conformity to Jesus Christ. It's about those of us in Christ, growing in Christ. And how does it happen? By a focus on the Word. Gifted teachers in the church pouring out the Word which equips the members of the church to minister the word of God in all the ways that God has gifted them to do. By the way, let me just give you a brief aside. If you don't have any clue as to how you might be gifted to serve Christ's church, perhaps it's because you haven't thrown yourself into serving Christ's church as wholeheartedly as you should. In my experience, family, brothers and sisters don't come to understand their giftings by filling out a survey but by filling up their lives with service. Service in any way, service in every way. In one sense, don't worry about how you're gifted. Just serve. And it will become clear. It will become clear to you, it will become clear to me and to the elders. It will become clear. Family, as you serve, God will make it clear how you can serve Him more and more. And growth comes about more and more As every member works for the growth of the whole. Let me just leave you with a quote. It's a question. What would redeeming grace look like if everybody in the body worked the way you do for the well being of the body? Would we be better? Or would we be worse? What would redeeming grace be like if everybody in the body worked to the way you work for the well-being of the body? Would we be better off or worse? May me pray for us. Father, we thank you we thank you for your grace that you give to us which empowers us to serve you. We thank you, Lord, most of all for your word which has come to us through the apostolic teaching and has been handed down to us and that we, which we proclaim and which equips us, Father. I pray that you would equip us yet more and more. Build us up Yet more and more. Conform us into your image. Yet more and more. And may each one of us labor to that end. In Jesus' name, Amen.